Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Right to Read Initiative. My name is Dr. Katherine Garforth from Garforth Education, and I'm really excited about today's conversation because it's the third day that I am speaking with Rachel Donnelly from Maryland, and we have covered some great topics so far. Our first conversation was looking at your journey uh, to help us understand who you are and how you came to your interest on best practices for teaching reading and supporting students. And then our last conversation, we focused more on your role as a school psychologist and what school psychology has to offer for teachers and educators more than just that psychoeducational assessment. Right. It's not just you're there to rubber stamp and funnel kids into special education. Uh, there's so much more that yourself and a special educator can do. Now, you have another title, and that is the president of the Reading League Maryland chapter. Right. I have that right so far. You are right. You are on. You are on point. Awesome. So today's conversation is all about the Reading League. Now, for people who are unfamiliar with the Reading League, it is a nonprofit organization with the mission of advancing the awareness, understanding, and use of scientific-aligned reading instruction with the purpose of increasing stakeholder knowledge of the science-based approaches to teach reading, as well as research that demystifies how people learn to read. They train and support educators and school leaders, and by extension, they're also serving parents, specialists, and researchers. They are a national education nonprofit led by educators and reading experts dedicated to promoting knowledge to reimagine the future of literacy education and accelerate the global movement towards reading instruction grounded in science. And, you know, one thing that I want to highlight is just because it's a national, like a U.S. thing, doesn't mean that people internationally cannot access the material. Uh, and that's great because they have amazing publications, amazing resources. And I think, you know, today's conversation is more about getting to know actually what it is and what we can get out of it and your journey to the reading league as a school psychologist. So how did that start? Yeah, I mean, as we talked about before, like I, I do a, like a little podcast for school psychologists and we cover a variety of topics. Um, you know, I have two co-hosts who are awesome and we have kind of different focuses. So, you know, anytime I schedule a guest, you can usually tell who, who I've scheduled because it's usually like focused on academics and, and um, that type of thing. I have, you know, another co-host, she's super into counseling. And so she brings in a lot of good, um, you know, counseling resources, CBT, DBT, like all, all these things act. Um, and so, you know, through that podcast, I'm able to um, reach out to people. Um, and one of the people that we reached out to, and I actually think this is my other co-host that, that turned me on to him, um, was David Kilpatrick, um, who is a researcher um, and presenter on, on reading. And I'm sure lots of people are familiar with him. He's a, he's a school psychologist. Um, and he, you know, wrote, uh, wrote a great book, The Essentials, uh, in the, part of the Essentials series. And so there's lots of like psych books called The Essentials of This, The Essentials of That, and his is The Essentials of, I think, reading in, 
assessment intervention and, and something along those lines. Um, and so, you know, I heard his name first through my co-host um, and got his book and checked out his book and it's had a lot of great information. Um, and so we had Dr. Kilpatrick on and we, we talked to him and his big thing is, you know, this push of letting people know about orthographic mapping and um, how, how words are remembered, how words are stored, that they're not as visual chunks, you know, that it's related to auditory and phonemic awareness and, and all this stuff. And he says this in a, in a really, his presentations are really kind of in an accessible way. He's, he's a good speaker. And um, oftentimes I find like a lot of our researchers who are doing this research and have a knowledge of research, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're good speakers and presenters. And so, you know, so there's kind of, we, we know there's this research to practice type of gap for many reasons. And I think it's important to get researchers and get people that are familiar with research, um, you know, talking and doing this. And so he gives a lot of talks and whatnot. Um, but during that podcast, he, he mentioned the Reading League. And I was like, what is this? I had never, never heard of that before. Um, and he described it a little bit. And he had, so him and a couple other um, researchers and academics and presenters and whatnot, um, his, his focus isn't research so much, but um, he, he's a great kind of consumer of research and presenter um, and, and does some research as well. Um, so yeah, he got together, it was upstate New York in kind of the Syracuse area with other reading researchers. And um, yeah, they formed this nonprofit and it kind of started small and then has kind of spread. And I think it gained a lot of traction, um, especially online um, through Facebook and things like that. So I, I feel like the Reading League, a lot of people know, at least in the United States, they know the Reading League. They put out a lot of, uh, trainings, especially once COVID hit, everything turned virtual. So you could access a whole lot. You could check out their, their YouTube page with all sorts of trainings and resources and things of that nature. But as you said, you know, beautifully, um, you know, they, they want to spread, spread the word. Um, and so, yeah, that's how I kind of heard about the Reading League. I remember being at work one day and I was like, oh yeah, let me check out that Reading League thing. Um, and I remember calling a, a phone number that I found on their website and they told me a little bit, oh, you can sign up, you can be a member, you'll be on our newsletter. And they've just, I've really seen them kind of in the year since just really expand to now they have a Reading League journal um, that, that people, and it's specific on kind of getting into practice, you know, real life kind of like, this is what you can do in your classroom tomorrow type of scenarios. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've seen that. And, and then they opened up to, to state chapters, which is where I kind of um, got, got pulled into that a little bit further, but yeah. Yeah, that's great. And I think it's important to, you know, at least mention what was available before that, as far as, you know, a place to turn to for best practices in reading instruction. And if we look back to the 90s, it used to be the Orton Dyslexia Association. Um, and that turned into the International Dyslexia Association. And their focus traditionally was working on best practices for teaching students with dyslexia. And while those do transfer, uh, to other students, that was their main mission. And they, they do great work. I love the International Dyslexia Association. They are amazing. Um, but I think the Reading League definitely fills a gap 
um, that wasn't being met by the International Dyslexia Association because it was being seen by teachers and educators and schools as something, okay, well, that's just for special education students with, you know, learning disabilities in reading. So it's not the same as something like the reading league. Well, that's obviously for any teacher of reading. And if we go by what Lisa Moat says, every teacher is a teacher of reading. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's important to have those conversations. And, you know, I like, so I'm going to go pull back up their website. So I got this right. Um, that they are doing science-based approaches and using scientific aligned reading instruction. And I think the important thing to highlight is they're not looking at one-off studies uh, that were done as part of the author of a program, using it in their own classroom. They're looking at the culmination of research that is often referred to as the science of reading or structured literacy. And they're wanting to help every student in the classroom learn how to read. Yeah, it's very kind of tier one focused. Um, mm -hmm. And that's what, you know, we're told as a chapter that, you know, our focus is, is tier one is reading instruction for everybody, not remediating. I mean, we, we certainly talk about, you know, effective interventions and things like that, but the main focus, that main goal is get everybody, um, you know, learning to read and, and doing so with effective strategies. And, and their web, their um, their YouTube channel, I remember watching, they have a couple of videos that are kind of an intro to the reading league and interviewing teachers and because um, they've done some work in upstate New York with partnering, partnering with school systems and, you know, they're not pushing a curriculum. So they, they push kind of the science of this is what you should look for. These are the elements of a curriculum that you would look for. These are effective strategies. And they, you know, they have a rubric for, for figuring out what curriculum might be effective. Um, but so they've worked with schools and districts to, to educate them and to, to tell them like what to be on the lookout for and, and what to be doing. And have really, um, there's some YouTube videos about, you know, and some news broadcasts too, where, you know, they've really turned some schools around and really have you know increased test scores and kids are learning. And so it's just a very kind of feel good videos that I'm like, yay, it's so exciting to, to see it kind of playing out like like you said it's it's you know it it's not just like a single study it's kind of this culmination and and we're gonna you know try and try and do this in real life <laughs> and helping every student in the class regardless of academic or sorry um economic background um their risk factors for learning issues whether they are at risk for learning disabilities or whether they're the high achieving student that needs that enrichment to really be engaged and make the progress that they have the potential to. Uh, and, and that's where I think having the reading league just puts that one above the International Dyslexia Association because their focus is looking at purely at the lower end. But now we're seeing you know, well, this is how we can really help with that differentiation in the tier one, supporting the students that can go further. Yeah. And then surprise, you don't have that many as many students being diagnosed with dyslexia because a portion of them are victims of really poor instruction, you know. Um, so it's, yeah, this preventative um, 
type of thing. And yeah, I think it's, I think it's really great. And I, you know, I am but a peon in, you know, the smaller state chapter. Um, and, uh, you know, so the, 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 the higher ups, the, the founders, like all of them are, are amazing and, and just know their stuff. And so, you know, they, they have um, conferences. They typically have conferences in, in Syracuse, upstate New York. Um, another one, I'm not sure if it's happened yet or not, um, but it, it's they on March started. 25th okay. in Las Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I'm going to try to attend that one. It sounds exciting. Yeah, for sure. It sounds a lot more appealing than upstate New York. I mean, and I say that lovingly because I went to school in upstate New York, but Vegas, I think Trump's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and just to show their, um, like their, their topic for the one in New York is English learners and emergent bilingual students. Mm -hmm. What do we know and what can we learn? So it's all about making sure that, again, every student, so we're not just saying, you know, the students that are well-spoken English, like first language students, we're making sure that every student, and when, you know, there's a high immigrant, high English as additional language or English as a second language population within the schools, recognizing how instruction should be changed to meet their needs or what you need to include. And that's really important for every teacher because unless you are in a very remote area, um, at least in North America, it's highly unlikely that you're not gonna have at least one student in your career that has English as an additional language. For sure. Yeah, I mean, we're increasingly in kind of a more and more globalized world. And we, we see, um, you know, I, I see this in my own district for sure, that we're becoming more and more diverse and, and we have to meet, you know, we kids deserve the very best instruction. And I, I fully believe that if we have evidence-based strategies, like kids deserve to, to, to be exposed to those regardless of you know, uh, minoritized kids or, you know, uh, economically disadvantaged, of, you know, all these things. So, yeah, well, if we look at um, the United Nations, you know, right, a child's right is to learn how to read. And the disparity that they'll face without that long term. Uh, yeah. For sure. I feel like, yeah, we're sure, uh, you know, preaching to the choir on this, but yeah. it's so, it's so life-changing. It really, it really is. And um, to just your quality of life, being able to, to read or to know how to access things. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, it's important. <laughs> All right. So let's pretend I'm a teacher that has never heard about the Reading League before. What would your advice be to me to learn a little bit more about it and how I could use it effectively to help my own professional development? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I'm a big, I know social media has positives and negatives for sure. And you can get a lot of misinformation on social media, absolutely. Um, but I am a fan of, of following Facebook pages and, and Twitter accounts that are reputable and, and things of that nature. And, um, yeah, I feel like the Reading Week has come out as kind of this powerhouse of, of knowledge and has a good reputation for disseminating good, good stuff. Um, and so I, I get a lot of my information. Well, you can sign up for the newsletter and whatnot, um, and you can subscribe to the journal, which is really important, too, because, you know, teachers 
you might be in grad school and you have access to these peer-reviewed journal databases, right? But then you leave grad school and it's like your access is cut off and it, it's a little bit tricky. I mean, maybe you can get it through your public library, but um, I, I like the the concept of subscribing to the Reading League journal so that that's coming to you. Um, and then you're also supporting the Reading League and then the things that they're doing. So I would say, yeah, following them on social media um, and even uh, groups. I'm in one of the um, science of reading, um, what they didn't teach us in college, Facebook mm -hmm. group, right? That has like 200,000 people. I mean, people are starved yeah. for this information. Um, yeah. And you'll see a lot of good, you know, things go through there. Again, you have to be like a, a good consumer of information because um, there are also some misconceptions that fly around there. But people will share things out and you can kind of have a finger on the pulse of, of what's going on, I think, through social media a little bit um, and then the newsletter, email and journal. Well, and I think it's important to highlight that the Reading League Journal and their newsletter is written with a teacher audience yes. and that's different than a lot of the other journals put out by the associations that are more having that academic mind. I know I was speaking to Dr. Timothy Oldegaard in the fall and he's a, um, he's one of the editors, I think he's the editor in chief and one of um, the big reading journals. And he's saying, so many people ask me about getting this, you know, this article or that article published, but it doesn't meet the strict requirements of a peer-reviewed academic article. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's better for the Reading League Journal. And that's the thing. So if you go into the Reading League Journal, the articles are written for the te everyday teacher to be able to read it and take something out of it. There are the references and the links to the primary studies that you can use if that's your jam. But if it's not, you can take it and know where to go next. Yeah, yeah, but absolutely. And that's, yeah, that's the point of it and trying to get this information in the hands of teachers that can be used in it. Cause yeah, uh, reading a, a peer reviewed journal it, it takes some practice at the very least. I mean, it's very jargony. I mean, having your score tables and things that, you you know, it's it's difficult and you kind of want like the take home message and what does this mean in my classroom tomorrow? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's, um, that's really important. And then they also have, um, they have a group on Facebook too. It's called um, Coffee, Coffee and Tea with the Reading League or something of that nature. I'll have to get you a link. Um, but what they do is they have kind of little Sunday morning, you know, grab your cup of coffee, grab your mug, and we're going to talk about one of these articles in the journal. They take, send out a poll of, you know, what's your most, what's your favorite or most interesting article in, in the journal this past publication? Um, people vote, and then they get the author to come on and um, sit and chat and have a kind of a very, like, like you and I are now, have a very kind of informal um you know, discussion with, with TRL, you know, you, I'm like, oh, like famous <laughs> TRL people um, and, and the author. And it's really great. And they bring the chapter, um, the chapter presidents or representatives on to like facilitate the discussions and whatnot. So I've gotten, you know, able to, to do that. And it's just, it's a lot of fun and gives you, and then you can ask questions to the author, which is, 
sometimes you know you don't have the although I will say that anytime um, I'm like trying to find a peer-reviewed journal article and I it's behind a paywall like I just email the author they will always just give it to you because they're allowed to do that and mm -hmm. so they'll give it to me and they will talk your ear off about you know they, yes. they're in it they love talking the about the research <laughs> yes. yeah yeah and there's things that they'll go into that you don't have in the article because you know, what you need to include in a peer reviewed journal article and what you leave out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's a long process. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it, it, there's very strict criteria for those, you know, higher level journals. Yep. Yep. That reviewer too will always get you. Yeah. It's, it's, but, um, and, you know, I use a Google scholar too. I'm not sure if people are familiar with Google scholar, but I mean, it wasn't Even. only, only until a couple of years ago that I, realized how effective Google Scholar is for finding the articles and you might get an abstract from that and then you contact the author. So love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a great resource. Now, okay, so that's you know your everyday classroom teacher. Now what about your administrator? Would they find something useful going into the reading league and learning through the resources there? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um you know and, and I I feel like administrators need to to know this stuff because they are oftentimes the ones making these decisions about how the school day is structured um what curriculums might be used or, or people above them even you know depending on how the district is, is structured and how large your district is but people that are in these positions of kind of power for making choices and making decisions they need to know this stuff. And I think I talked um, in our first chat about, you know, sitting with the superintendent of my district and he kind of said, I don't really know much about reading. You know, I was a high school teacher. And so I'm going to rely on what this person and this person tells me. And it's like, are you serious? <laughs> that, that's not okay. <laughs> Everybody has, has a part here. This, that's huge. <laughs> yeah. And as we, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking back to an episode in season two, where I spoke to a, a principal that I have deep respect for, Dr. Matthew Kirstead. And he was saying, if I expect my teachers to know it and do it, I need to know it too. And he's in a, you know, a more rural school district and implementing in the science of reading. And they've been doing it for about five years now and had a huge progress. But he's like, I need to be able to go to every one of those teachers' classrooms and say, oh, okay, well, this is where you need support. This is how I can provide it. And, you know, they've been doing a lot of screening and everything. So he says, you know, the teach, any teacher can come to me and say, can you help me look through this data and tell me what it means for my classroom? And that's where we need to have our principals at, is at the point where they can say, yes, I see this data because, um, you know, the next role I'm going to talk about is a school psychologist, <laughs> but, you know, the school psychologist isn't always available to help provide that support. And this is one of the most important jobs, in my opinion, the principal can play within the school and helping those students achieve their best. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, and teachers need guidance and look to principals and administrators for that. I was in a classroom um, not too long ago and I happened, I was just observing a kid, it was like an ADHD referral, but I saw in progress, um, it was a foundations uh, lesson and they were going over um, kind of the ED ending uh, suffix and the three sounds that it makes. Um, and so I know that the curriculum, you know, has 
you say the sounds, it says, you know, d or t or um, id or yeah, yeah. Id, yeah. And so, you know, and it has, you know, the, the slash marks right in the manual that, that shows that you're going to say the sound. But this teacher, as she was teaching the lesson, was like, okay, which column should we sort this word into the, the, T column or the D column or the ID column. And I was like, no, you're supposed to be saying sounds. And I was a little bit like, do I, I didn't want to interrupt the lesson um, and, and, you know, make a throw her off kilter and kind of, and take away her power. But afterwards I, you know, so, so afterwards I sent her an email and I said, I think you're supposed to like, that means you're supposed to say the sounds, not, not you're adding in these extra letter names that are probably more confusing. You're saying ID and then it's the CED. And, it, and I was like, you can point to them, but I would still say, say the sounds. Yeah. And I was nervous, you know, how her response was going to be. You know, I'm somebody coming into her classroom. I wasn't there for the purpose of looking at her or her lesson. I was there to look at this kid. And so I was nervous what her response was going to be, but she was like, oh my gosh, Thank you so much. They gave us a 20 minute training at the start of the school year. I really have no idea what I'm doing. And it's so nice to have feedback. And mm -hmm. to me, like that should be um, a role that administrators can can help do because they should be in and out of classrooms and seeing things and they should be able to be like, oh, wait, that that needs to change and, and catch these things so that we're not you know, putting teachers in a position where they uh, don't know what they're doing, you know, that they're not they, they want to do well by kids. And so, yeah, they need that support. And that's the problem that we're seeing is, you know, schools buying programs saying here, you have to do this, but not providing that support. And that's where some of those Facebook groups that you were talking about and uh, the Right to Read Initiative does have a Facebook group that people can join. Uh, and, at, you know, in those situations saying, look, I, they have this curriculum, I'm not sure what to do. And that's where we're trying to create that community to provide the support. Mm -hmm. Because I, I remember one of the things in teachers calls are like, it's one of the most lonely professions in the world. Uh, even though you're surrounded by kids all day, yeah, you're, you're the adult and... It's not the same as being in, in an office place setting where everybody's collaborating in the same way that you, you have as a teacher. Yeah, you are. I mean, as a teacher, I can't, I, I, I couldn't do it. And, and my husband is a teacher um, and I so much respect for teachers, but I, I just feel like you must feel like you're just constantly wired, like in fight or flight mode, you know, you just the adrenaline must always be going because there's so many things to manage this, to do that. Are you doing this right? Like it, it you know, it's, it's a lot. So I, I, so much respect for our teachers. It's such a hard field and I don't think they get the respect that they deserve for the impact that they make on kids. You know, it's crazy. Well, and the support and that's yes. where the, the continued support, because when we do look at the research, it does take about five years to transition from, you know, a balanced literacy, whole language approach to instruction to being fully immersed in that structured literacy, yeah. reading science way. And that's just because there is so much to learn. Yeah. And, uh, you know, thank you to everyone that's starting to take that deep set. I've spoken to teachers that are in their last few years of teaching and then begin this journey and they're re rejuvenated and want to do more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it's, there's so much to learn. And yet systems level change is 
so complex and so wild and you know that's something that they cover in in school psych programs you might try and you know you discuss systems level change and it is nothing like what they tell you um, it is in grad school because then you get into these systems and you see how ingrained they are and you see how dysfunctional they can be and even when everybody's on board and wants to make a shift towards something it's still the the working all the cogs like you can't just snap your fingers and, and move so i absolutely i'd not heard that um stat before that it takes five years but i believe it i mean five years might be like too short like that's yeah. almost an ambitious timeline there you know um I, i'm trying to make some changes with how we identify learning disabilities in, in my district and goodness i think we've been talking about it and planning and moving things around for at least three years now and we're not we're not there yet <laughs> so yeah all right so we've talked about how the reading league is a great place for classroom teachers it's a great place for the administrators within the school and what about those higher up like the superintendents the district members those people that make decisions but aren't directly working one-on-one -on -one in the classroom and with the students do you feel that the reading league has something to offer them Yes, I mean, just just like you know, even more so in, in some, uh, you know, scenarios that yeah they're the ones that are making more of these decisions teachers want to do well, but they're not the one there, they don't have the power to pick the curriculum and they don't have the power to pick when the reading block is how that's structured. I've got teachers that they're like. You know, I I, I want to do more phonics, but we have to do guided reading. And they're told, no, you have you have to do your guided reading. It's the district policy. So yeah, it's so important to have these allies up in higher level of kind of district positions. I think that everybody should know this information because it is so crucial to um, to our students. It, it really is, and it's not just um, you know stopping once they cracked the code and can get the words off the page. I mean, because then, you know, morphology and vocabulary and etymology and like beginning, right? Yeah. Like reading instruction isn't over once a child can decode yeah. and recognize those high frequency words and stumble away through the text. There's so much more to reading instruction. Sure. And again, the reading league discusses and provides resources for all of those. And I feel when we're looking at these higher up in education, the Reading League has the information and can help direct you to the information to say the why you're making the change. Yeah. The support and having the mentorship among others that have done this and walked this path before you. Mm -hmm. Perfect example would be so um, when I did that coffee and tea thing with the reading league, the article that was chosen was on vocabulary instruction and we uh, Dr. Kappas um, was the author. And so I had a great conversation with her and, and learned a lot. And the, I mean, the article itself had pictures of the resources that she made. So it's, you know, she had a, a whole system that she studied and, and worked out and, and was implementing that, you know, you're introducing this many words. This is where you're getting the words from. You're going to show a picture with the word. You're going to read the word. This is how you're So it showed exactly how you could do that. And it wasn't like you have to go out and buy this curriculum. It was, you know, this is, and then she's, you know, I, I love 
love researchers because they they give away the stuff for free you know she's like you know email me i'll give you the list of words that we used i'll give you like the progression and everything you know they're not in this to become rich and sail off on their yachts <laughs> you know that doesn't it's not a high paying job you know working in academia and so they they just want kids to be successful and so it's just like you know if you want a research article you know you'll email them and they'll give it to you and they'll chat with you and tell you all about it you know if they run a study and they have an effective strategy that they've used they'll give you the materials and everything and so um yeah that was really helpful that you know, she again, and it's not just phonics and phonemic awareness. She was dealing in vocabulary and she's like, here's the stuff to do. If you want to do this, go and do it. It's awesome. Yeah. And it's important to have access to those support networks and realize that you're not alone in this journey mm. and that it is not just your district, your school, your classroom that's making this, these changes. They're, they are happening. And I think what's different from the previous shifts that we've seen in reading instruction to like a whole language or balanced literacy is this isn't stuff that is quote unquote common sense, mm -hmm. right? So when you, when you do the balanced literacy in the whole language, oh yeah, you know, you just, you just get it, right? When we're talking about structured language and literacy or the science of reading, there's actually a way to do it correctly and to get the best results. You need to do it correctly and understand it. So you're going to need that support to get there. And yes, you can read all the books, uh, but until you actually see it in action, mm -hmm. it can be very difficult to lift it off the page from a book. Yeah. Out seeing a video, talking to an author, wa watching it, having that conversation to really see what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important, I think, to connect with people to do that. And that's why we talk about the difference between like the reading leagues journal and like a peer reviewed journal. Like you're not going to see pictures of manipulatives and things in a peer review journal like this is when she's talking about all the different games that they would play with vocabulary you know they would have a vocabulary word on a student's head and they would try and ask each other questions to figure out what the vocabulary and so she's got pictures of, of all this stuff and yeah it's really great yeah all right well what about some of the other roles that are, play support to the school system like yourself as a school psychologist Obviously you found value in the reading league. I mean, you took the time and effort to create a chapter in your home state. Um, but from your experience, what were you able to get out of the reading league and what do you think other school psychologists could get from following being an active participant and consuming the information from the reading league? Yeah, I, I think that too, you, you get a community as well. So you get people that like, I love chatting with you because I'm like, you get it, like you understand. And so sometimes we're in our little silos and doing our little things. And then like the first time you meet somebody else, you're like, yeah, don't like that program, three queuing, yeah, you know, oh, we love this structured literacy. Yeah, and it's like, you know, a cool club or something like you, you have common interests and you're able to connect with people and, and make things happen. And I really think there's, there's strength in numbers. Um, and so, yeah, I for sure felt found value in it. I encourage other school psychs to look at this because so much of our job is 
assessing for reading disabilities. I mean, and really, so in special education, even if, if it's not a learning disability, if it's you know ADHD or emotional disability or autism, I mean, 90% of the time, they also have reading problems on top of that. I mean, that's a super common referral question. So for a psych or for some people to assume that psychs don't know anything about reading or shouldn't or just just stay with their cognitive tests and not care about academics like that's crazy to me because so like that's one of the main referral concerns that we get teachers coming to us saying you can't read i mean it's super common and so you need to know as a school psych like the type of questions to ask what data to get um and and what recommendations to make um and so, yeah, but a lot of people are, and even when I, I was talking to somebody on the phone and I threw for reading league stuff and he asked me, he assumed that I was a teacher. I'm like, no, I'm not a teacher. I am a school psychologist. And I was like, really? A school psychologist? How'd you get into this reading stuff? And I'm like, hello? Like, nobody, I'm like, this is so much of what I do. But I also recognize that some school psychologists, like we talked about before, it's not their jam. Like there's school psychology has so many components to it. But yeah, you need to have a level of competency for assessing and making recommendations for this type of stuff. So um, I think it's been really, really helpful um, for me well, to- I'm sure it could actually help with your reporting when you're making your recommendations for what students need and say, you know what, if you're not familiar with, check out this article, check out this video. Yeah. Because on the Reading League website, they do have resources for parents mm -hmm. uh, and like the professional development and school-based partnerships and online academy. This is a place where you can find the support that you need to really understand what's going on with the student. And it's one that can be trusted, right? It's not just typing in something in Teachers Pay Teachers or doing a Google search on a topic to try and figure it out. These are the people to go to that know their stuff in this area. Yeah, they have a lot of a lot of great resources and they have um, a program geared towards kids that they've filmed as far as introducing sounds and letters. It's kind of like a yeah. like a Sesame Street type Mr. Rogers kind of vibe, you know, um, but, you know, looking at programming and things for kids. So, yeah, for sure, a lot of things that could be recommended to, to families to, to check out. Definitely. Now, what's the benefit of having, like, so there's the big reading league and then there's the local chapters. So mm -hmm. what's the difference between the two and where would I go for information based on those two different levels? Yeah, yeah. So I, I feel like the chapters, well, chapters have a little bit of like say and how they structure things um you know the chapters are going to be held to basic kind of criteria um you know being nonprofits, and we kind of have to follow kind of the basic game plan of the reading league um but they allow you know some chapters charge membership fees some chapters you know um allow anybody to join for free might charge for events or some do like sponsorships. So they, you know, everything's structured a little bit different kind of state by state um, and depending on the needs of, of the of the chapter. Um, but they do, we do seek to 
you know, do local stuff too. Um, we have not been super successful with that. We did because of COVID, of course. Um, so everything was virtual. We got really proficient at putting on these, um, you know, virtual events that people could come to and listen and then connect in the chat box or whatnot or breakout rooms. We do some book studies and things um, and talk with other people in, you know, and you can connect and be like, oh, I'm from that county too. Like, you know, you form those relationships and um, can kind of smooth with people a little bit and, and figure out what, you know, how change can happen. Um, but we did try um, more recently to do a combo like hybrid in person and virtual event. We um, set up a room at University of Maryland and we were, you know, set to do that and we put up for registration and we had like 60 people RSVP for coming online and like six people that were going to come and make the drive. So I feel like people are comfortable with, you know, doing these trainings and these presentations in their pajamas in the comfort of their home with their own coffee and their cats and dogs. And like, you know, that's easy and they don't have to travel. Um, and so we, we ended up canceling the in-person because it just didn't make sense to, to manage the technology um, when, when so many people were, were tuning in virtual. But I have ambitions of, I'd love to do an in-person um, type of conference or event um, in the future if we can get enough interest in it and you know there's there's some movies out right now so there's the right to read um, and the truth about reading and so really great powerful films and so we've talked about let's let's do a screening let's get people together and watch a movie like how fun is that and then we'll have a panel discussion afterwards so um, really great I think high quality PD um, that we'd like to make available to people who who are interested in it and can connect and, and are speaking the same language. We did an event on um, the Ready to Read Act, which is a Maryland specific law that requires screening of kids K through two um, for, for reading difficulties. And so districts are scrambling, like how do we implement this law? Um, and so we were able to do a training. Uh, we got uh, Dr. Cummings from the University of Maryland and she talked about screeners and what you need to look for in a screener and how you interpret screening data and all, all this stuff. And um, it was great because it was targeted to Maryland's law and we knew that it would fulfill that. So I feel like the local chapters have that ability to have finger on the pulse of what's going on, what the requirements of that particular jurisdiction um, yeah, and I, I do think so. Our policy committee is another thing that I'm really impressed with. Um, I won't take any credit for that <laughs> because uh, that's not something that I know too much about. But a lot, some of our board members um, hail from decoding dyslexia, and they are very organized and very proficient at knowing you know, how laws move through, how, how different government officials sponsor laws, who to contact, who to call. And so as far as like policy changes and making sure that we're advocating for things getting in the laws and, and as new legislators coming up and legislation's coming up um, that is in the benefit of children, we're able to, you know, give comments and things and say, make suggestions for tweaks and, and stuff like that. And so they've been really instrumental. So I feel like the chapters can focus on those, those local kind of things that national I'm sure has, you know, could never, could never manage all at once. Yeah, of course. 
now I, I don't know the answer to this. Uh, I'm not sure if you do, but do you know how many local chapters there are state chapters of the Reading Lake? Oh, I'm not sure there is a map. I know that there's a map that they have on the website somewhere. Um, we certainly don't have one in all 50 of our states. And, um, you know, I'd love to see things branch out into Canada and other countries. But as far as I know, they're, they're not international. Um, but no. I wouldn't be surprised if that went. I mean, they seem to I, I feel like this chapter leadership model is looking like it's successful. So I'm thinking that it would be something that could be expanded but yeah I'm, I'm hoping uh hoping that it'll happen soon enough so we can get some chapters up in canada and yeah. sure other places around the world are, are looking forward to the same but i i just found the map and looked at it and it looks like maybe just eyeballing it about half the states have them okay so as someone who has formed a local chapter mm -hmm. what is that process like is it doable or was it all consuming uh, yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. So when I first um, I saw on Twitter that Reading League said we're doing state chapters, and I said woohoo! Like that sounds cool. Um, and I think I waited a little bit, and then I reached out and and said like you know is there is there a Maryland is there anything going on in Maryland? And they said no, not right now. Like we don't have a chapter. Like but. Um, we have two other people who are looking also to form a chapter. Let us connect you with them. And so kind of, I was like, oh man, I, <laughs> in my ideal world, there would have been like something already in the mix or like I could have just like swooped in and been, been a member. But then I was in this situation where, you know, there isn't a chapter, they need help setting up a chapter. So I'm like, okay, I, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta um, step in here and see how I can help. And, uh, you know, so a small, started as kind of an email chain and then expanded to other people and so-and-so knows this person and knows this person and we got kind of a little group together it probably it took us I don't know eight months nine months to get everything together because it was a really kind of difficult process with the nonprofit paperwork um, you have to make sure you form a board there's you know Robert's rules for like I call the meeting to order and I second it and like all these things that just seem like um, there was a learning curve for me for sure and, and still is I don't I don't know what I'm doing half the time honestly so I'm just glad that I have people around me that do. Um, and so between the nonprofit paperwork, you know, the reading lead, making sure that you're doing things right. They don't want just chapters popping up and going willy nilly and, and making a fool out of the reading lead. So they need to make sure that people are trained and they give training on how to run boards, um, how to use social media. How, so there's the kind of these monthly meetings that they support chapters with. Um, but it is time consuming, especially for someone who has a job during the day. Some of them, these monthly meetings are um, during the work day. And so I'm not able to really go. I'll send, you know, other people will go um, to, to collaborate there. But, um, you know, I talked, I think during our first chat about how important it is to have people of varying kind of skill sets on the board. And so you might think that, oh, you just want to get all the people that know about reading on your board. And that's important. People need to be passionate about reading, but 
it really helped that we had somebody that knows taxes <laughs> and, and how to do that and, and forms and accounting and things. It really helped that we have, you know, people that know how laws work and, and, and working that. It helped a lot that we have somebody that knows how to work Instagram. So we're like, how do we do this? How do we do that? We have to figure out all these things. And so, yeah, it was a difficult process, um, but because it's a group of people and we're able to like problem solve and figure out, oh, we need to find somebody who can help us with this. We eventually got through it. I don't know if we did it as efficiently as maybe other chapters have done. And we definitely talked to other chapters to see, where are you? How did you do this? Like, how long did this take you? Um, but yeah, and then there's certain requirements from national that you have to put on at least three events. You need to, within three years, be kind of self-sufficient as far as funding and whatnot. Um, you know, I, as far as the logo and any type of things that we put out, it needs to be approved by national before. So they, 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 and I, I think a tight ship, but I mean, I don't, I don't really know. I've not been involved in a nonprofit before, but I think they do a good job. Um, and so, yeah, it was, we got through it because of the group was there and the board members are awesome. And I just kind of fell into president. I think there's nobody else wanted it, not because I you know, have any particular skill set in that because I don't, but um, it's fun and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think it's it's important to recognize that you don't need to be a reading expert. You don't need to be a PhD mm -hmm. or, you know, have this huge history in the science of reading to be involved in creating the uh, state level or the, the, the chapter yeah. of the reading league. And they do provide the support you need to get the knowledge out there, but it's a great resource for the local community that you're supporting. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so yeah, people that know how to make infographics to, to share out. We, we have um, Dr. DJ Bulger is um, on advisory board and he was, um, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with Emily Hanford's, um, you know, thing and she went to the reading lab and interviewed and, and whatnot, that was his lab. And mm -hmm. so, you know, his expertise has been invaluable, but just as much as his know-how and reading has been inv invaluable, and he's done some trainings and whatnot with us, um, his connections to other researchers to get, oh, I know this person and this one, and I know Kareem Weaver because I worked with this and let's get a board together and we'll do an event. I'm like, oh my God. So yeah, like you said, um, you don't have to be an expert because I think that people can bring so many different skills. You know, I, I would love somebody that, um, you know, knew more about fundraising. We're, we're struggling like now, how do we get the funds in to do the things that we want? And so like, you know, we're in talks with some people that are like, oh, let's sponsor your event. And so luckily people have reached out to us, I think because of the clout that the Reading League has. And so they found us, but if people haven't reached out to us, I wouldn't have even thought to track people down to sponsor events so we can keep events free for teachers, you know, which is important. We need, we need money to, to do things. Um, but yeah, like people that know how to raise funds, people that know how to recruit, people that know kind of PR and, um, you know, message dissemination and communication and, and things like that. So uh, yeah, I would encourage anyone 
who is interested in reading league and are interested in, in reading. And obviously if anybody's watching your podcast, I'm assuming that there's an interest there. Um, but yeah, I just feel like you, you don't need to be the expert. I'm sure that, you know, you can contribute in many, many different ways and it's been fun. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Rachel. I've really enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to ones in the future. Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for all that you do. And I think that this is awesome that you get these conversations going and spread the word. And it's just been a fun time. So thank you.